We're so glad that you found this Peak City message today. Our prayer is that during our time together, you're able to discover Jesus and are encouraged to follow him fearlessly. We're in week two of For My Family, For My Future. If you have a Bible, get to 1 Samuel chapter 2 is where we're going to be today. 1 Samuel 2, if you did not bring a Bible, no worries. Uh, we'll have the words on the screen for you. Um, but we are talking about how we can be the best for our families and for our futures. You know, because like, the truth is at the end of this very, very, very short thing that we call life, um, the only things that will really matter are did you do right by your family, the, the, the people you love, and did you maximize the future that God had for you? The life that God laid out for you, did you, did you reach your full potential? Did you leave anything on the table? Did you maximize it, right? Like we wanna get to the end and we wanna have one of those funerals that you see in the movies where people are lined up to pay their respects. They're lined up to say, man, I love that woman. I love that man, they were so good. Like I actually got the privilege this past summer of, of um, officiating, and as a pastor, I've done a lot of funerals. Um, I got the privilege of officiating a top five funeral in the history of all funerals. It was the funeral of my wife's grandpa, Poppy. All right, he lived to be 101 years old, and he lived the best life. And I'm telling you, it was such an amazing, funeral to get to do because it was just filled with exactly what we want, right? Like we want a funeral like his. We want to live a life where at the end of it, there's no unresolved tension. There's no like relationships that need to be reconciled. It's just like everyone's like reminiscing and sharing stories. I mean, his son, all right, his son shared with me a story. He said, Petey, um, when I think about my dad and his, his name was Jack, but we called him Poppy. He said, when I think about Poppy, he said, um, you know, as a kid, you always think that your parents are perfect. Then you grow up and realize they're not. He said, for me, I grew up thinking my dad was perfect or, and, and, and as, a, as a kid. And then I grew up and realized he was even better. That's how good his life was. I mean, it, it was like exemplary, his life. But man, the, the, the thing about Poppy is he was always thinking about his family. He was always fighting for his family. He was always fighting for his family. And he maximized his life. I mean, even up to the very end, he was thinking about his family and protecting his, his family, his, his sweet little wife, Frida Finkbone. Frida, what a sweet old lady name. Ain't nobody naming their babies Frida these days. What happened there, man? That's, that's going to skip a generation. It's going to be like the cool hip name in like 10 years, Frida. But Frida, we're sitting around talking with her, and you got to think, she's 97 years old. She'd been married for 75 plus years to this man. And so for the first time, she's without her husband. And so we're sitting there just reminiscing and, and laughing, and, and, and she turns to one of her kids and says, hey, will you take the gun that, that Poppy kept here? And we're like, Graham, you live in a nursing home. It's like a maximum security lockdown nursing home. You don't need a gun. Poppy didn't have a gun here, Graham's like, no, no, he had a gun here. Like, what did Poppy need a gun for? here and like there's no way he had a gun here and sure enough she goes to the back and she's filling around in the back she's searching through closets and like there's no way I mean she's 97 there's no way she's remembering right there's no way there's a gun back there in this maximum security nursing home lockdown and then she comes out two minutes later <laughs> get off my lawn <laughs> don't you mess don't you mess with her man that nursing home, if anybody, if trouble comes in that nursing home, they about to meet Frida Finkbone <laughs> with a rifle, all right? <laughs> but that's just who Poppy was, man, even to the end, protecting his family, protecting his family, wanting the best for his family, wanting the best for his family, right? And you need to know this, we should, we should talk about this, that funerals like that are actually rare. 
I think sometimes we get this mistake in our minds, like we watch the movies and we're like, ooh, I bet everybody gets a funeral like that. No, 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 let me tell you from experience. I'm the guy that does all the funerals for people. I can tell you I can count on one hand the number of funerals I have done where everyone is doing what they did at Poppy's funeral, celebrating, reminiscing, loving, it's amazing. Most funerals are a mixed bag. There's a mixed bag of unresolved tension. There's a mixed bag of uh, not, not, um, irreconcilable relationships. There's a, there's a mixed bag of people that feel like, yeah, I'm sad they're gone, but I'm also kind of relieved, right? Because, because they didn't do right by their family and they screwed up the future that God had for them. Let's not pretend like a future like that a funeral like that is just a guaranteed for you. In fact, what I would suggest is if you don't, if you don't really focus on what we're going to talk about today, what 1 Samuel 2 is going to unearth for us, if you don't focus on what we're going to talk about today, your funeral is going to be a tricky, tricky, tricky situation for all of your family members, okay? Because today we're going to have a conversation about something. And it's not going to be fun, but it is absolutely necessary for the health of your family and the health of your future. I want to talk to you today about discipline. Okay. I want to talk to you about discipline. And I know parents in the room, you're like, oh, we're going to talk about disciplining our kids. Yeah, 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 that's part of it. Absolutely. I want to talk about disciplining your kids a little bit today. Comma, and it's not just about disciplining your kids. It's actually more about enforcing healthy boundaries. You know, that's what discipline is. A boundary that gets broken and then you have a direct conversation and there's some direct consequence as a result of a boundary getting broken. Now, let me tell you, if you're single, you need to know how to enforce healthy boundaries. If you're dating right now, you need to know how to enforce healthy boundaries. If you're heading into the parenting phase of your life, you need to know. If, if you're entering the workforce, let me tell you, your coworkers are going to push your boundaries. Your boss is going to try to get you to work longer and push your Boundaries. If you want to fight for the health of your family and the health of your future, you have to learn how to discipline the people in your life that push against your boundaries. It's not just about parenting. It's so much bigger than that, okay? My prayer for you today in this message is that you will no longer, I want you to catch this, okay? No, that my prayer is that you would no longer let the short-term pain of discipline keep you from the long-term gain for your family and your future of having healthy boundaries. I want your family and your future to benefit from the fact that you know how to have, have healthy boundaries and keep them, okay? So it's not gonna be a, I mean, it's, I, I know none of y'all woke up today on Sunday and thought, you know what I wanna do? You know what I hope he talks about at church today? I hope he talks about how to discipline my children. I hope he talks about how to, no, no, because this is, this is a, a really, really hard conversation to have and it's gonna hurt a little bit, but I'm telling you, I'm trying to save you thousands and thousands of dollars in family counseling. <laughs> Last week I told you to go to counseling. This week I'm trying to put counseling out of business. I'm trying to save you some money. This week, all right, you need healthy boundaries. The, the title of my message for you today is the rules of restraint. The rules of restraint. There are some rules you got to follow if you want to have healthy boundaries in your life. And part of the reason I'm preaching this is because nearly every counseling appointment, nearly every person I talk to in the church who needs counsel, who needs help, they are suffering through a broken relationship, primarily because a boundary has been broken and they don't know what to do about it. All right, so I'm gonna try to give you a million dollars worth of game for free 99 today, okay? You ready? Here we go. 
y'all realize, y'all, some of y'all are like, is he going to say that we are building a church thing? <laughs> Hold up. Hold up. I'm saving it. First Samuel chapter 2. Last week we talked about the hunt for healing. We talked about a messed up family, right? A really messed up family. Sister wives situation. If you missed it, you're like, they're talking about sister wives. Yeah, yeah, go back and check last week. Last week was the hunt for healing. We said every family's messed up. Everyone in, 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 in uh, every family's messed up, which means you're messed up, right? And the best thing you can do for your family and your future is go on the hunt for healing. Don't, don't go on the hunt for blaming people. Go on the hunt for healing. This week we're talking about the rules of restraint. Last week we talked about one messed up family. This week we turn our attention to the other messed up family in these first couple chapters of Samuel, and it's the pastor's family, all right? Leave it to the pastor to have the most messed up family on the block. First Samuel chapter 2, we start in verse 12. Eli's sons were scoundrels, the text tells us. <laughs> they had no regard for the Lord. Now, it was the practice of the priest. I want you to hang with me because this is a very different culture, very different time. I'm going to explain it to you. But it was the practice of the priest that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servants would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This was how they um, paid and cared for the pastor's family. The, the people would bring a meat offering to the temple and the pastor would feed his family from that, but he would just kind of randomly stick a fork in and whatever he gets out, that's what the family's eating that night. Okay, different time, different culture. I ain't about to stick my fork into any of y'all's cooking pots at home and pull nothing out. But then it says, even before the, this is how they treated uh, all the Israelites who came to Shiloh, but even before the fat was burned, the priest's servants, now in this case, you need to understand, Eli is the priest, his son's, name was, his son's names were Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas were working at the church. All right, dad got him a little side gig working at the church. And so boys are working at the church for their dad and, and they are doing this job of getting the meat for the family. It says, but even before the fat was burned, the priest's servants, his sons would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, only raw. And if the person said to him, well, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant, his sons, would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. And the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. The best way I can explain this in like a 21st century context that kind of bridges the time gap here is if, if, if instead of asking you to give money to the church to support the cause, I said, hey, why don't you bring a side of beef? to the church and we're gonna give it out, we're gonna sell it. But beforehand, my sons went and met you at the door and said, hey, my dad would like the filet mignon, please. Uh, we need the choicest, we need the, the New York strip, we need the T-bones, and then uh, let everybody else have the beef shanks. <laughs> let everybody else get the, get the ground beef. We gonna get, we gonna get, we gonna eat good. This is a filet fiasco that's happening here. The boys are just treating the offering of the people of God with disrespect. It's just a boundary that like they're up to no good. They're pushing boundaries, right? And this is the deal. You know this as parents. Kids push boundaries. It's just what they do. People push boundaries. Come on, man. This is just what we do. And sometimes it's like, like it's, it's just part of us. Even sometimes when it's just like sweet and innocent, people push boundaries, right? My, my son, uh, when we were um, new parents, my, our, our oldest son at the time was only two years old. I remember um, he loved having M&Ms as his treat after dinner. And so we give him a few M&Ms. And then he kept saying, Dad, I, I want more. You do the little sign for more. His big old eyes and big old cheeks. Dad, more M&Ms? It's like, no, I'm not falling for that, okay? 
And so I'd say no. And um, one night we're sitting there and we said no to the Mormon M's and we go to the couch and we're watching TV. He's playing with trains. And all of a sudden, Brittany and I notice he's not around. I'm like, well, where, where, Emmett, where are you? No answer. Emmett, where are you? No answer. So we go to his room. He's surely in his room. We open his door and his, the lights are out. It's pitch dark in his room. So like, well, he's not in there. And as I go to close the door, Brittany and I right there, we hear a sound from the dark room. And the sound is chomping. I looked at Brittany with wide eyes like, are you kidding me? And we turned the light on and there that little scoundrel was in the middle of the room with a bag of M&Ms stuffing his face, just chocolate everywhere. And I was like, you, how am I supposed to discipline this? This is the cutest thing ever, right? Pushing boundaries. It's just, I guess from a young age, it's what we do. You push boundaries. It's what, it's what people do. And, and, and in this instance, his sons are pushing the boundaries. They're disrespecting the role. They're disrespecting the offering. And we're going to find out in a second, they're actually doing way worse than that. But when boundaries are pushed, a conversation has to be had, right? When a, when a rule is broken, when a boundary is broken, a conversation must be had. And so Eli steps in, the dad steps into this disciplined moment. And, and he, he has to. And we're going to find out that the, the sons were doing way worse. And we're about to see how he handles this disciplined moment, this conversation about healthy boundaries. We're going to see how he handles it. And we're going to get a case study on what not to do. 1 Samuel 2, jump down to verse 22. It says, now Eli, who was very old, we're going to come back to that in a second. He heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel. And catch this, it wasn't just the filet fiasco. And how they slept with the women who served at the entrance to the tent of meeting. So let's just cut the spiritual mumble jumble lingo here. They were stealing from the offering of the people of God and they were sleeping with the women who were serving the church. That's what his sons were doing. It, this is no laughing matter. This is a big, 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 big deal. It says, so he says to them, he enters the conflict, he enters the boundary conversation. Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. No wonder they didn't listen. Because that's about the weakest, most indirect, non-confrontational, non-ineffective uh, rebuke that you could ever imagine. I mean, think about this. He says, why do you do such things? Well, Eli, perhaps it's because you've been letting them get away with this and much worse for years. I keep hearing from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. The, the report I hear is not good. Understatement of the year. <laughs> they are stealing from the offering of a church. They are embezzling money and they are sleeping with the kids' ministry volunteers. The report I hear is not good. Yeah, you think? You think? You're like destroying the church. You're destroying your family. You are doing heinous things. You're bringing dishonor to the family name. But worse than that, you are hurting your family. You are hurting your future. And then he says, well, if one person sins against another, God may step in for them. But if they sin against God, who's going to step in for them? If theoretically someone were to do something wrong towards someone else, then maybe God would help. But hypothetically, theoretically, 
if someone were to do something wrong towards God, what would happen? What? <laughs> it's the most weak, indirect, lame excuse for parenting we could ever read about. These, these boys are destroying the family, destroying the church and destroying their lives. And he goes, this is not good, guys. It's not good. It's like, well, no wonder they didn't listen to you. Come on, Eli. You got to step up. You got to shoot straight with them. You got to get, get direct with them. This is, this is not a like, oh my gosh, you ate some M&Ms and you shouldn't have. You are screwing up your life and letting them off the hook. And I know what you're going to say. You're going to go, Pete, you're being really hard on Eli. Because kids will be kids. And here's the deal. You need to understand, I ain't on a soapbox today about what I feel about parenting. Okay? That ain't my soapbox. Though I have a soapbox if I wanted it. All right. I've seen the world's, I've seen the kids of the world, and I struggle with parenting too myself at times, but whoo, our world's a wild place right now. That's not, I'm not here to tell you the PD soapbox issues on parenting. I'm telling you, God cares about it. The reason this matters is because God cares about you practicing discipline and restraint in your life. God cares about you enforcing healthy boundaries in your life. It's actually not about Petey's heart for this. It's God's heart because look what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Look what God decides to do because of Eli's poor parenting. Okay, 1 Samuel chapter 3 verse 12. This is God speaking. He says, at that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. Catch this. For I told him I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. He knew it. He knew better. His sons blasphemed God, and here it is, and he failed to restrain them. He says, you, your boys screwed up, and I'm going to hold it over your head. Eli, you knew better. You should have stepped up and had a conversation. You should have stepped up and done something about it. It's actually on you, the rebellion of your children. God says, Eli, I'm holding it against you. This ain't Petey's soapbox, this is God's soapbox. Because when you're talking about fighting for our family and for our future, I'm telling you, it is so important for us to understand why we have healthy boundaries in our life and how to maintain them. God is not trying to get mad at Eli for any other reason than Eli let the devil attack his kids and let the devil steal, kill, and destroy their family. So yeah. God takes it seriously. And I believe with all of my heart that it could have been avoided. I think with all of my heart, this, this could have been avoided if Eli had just respected and honored the rules of restraint. Okay, and so I wanna share them with you today. I wanna share with you the rules of restraint that Eli could not honor. And it doesn't matter if you're single, if you're married, if you've got kids, if you're older, you can apply this to your life right here, right now. This will help you, this will build a healthier family and a healthier future. The rules of restraint. But I want to be clear before I jump into it. I want to be clear what I mean by the word restraint. All right, I'm going to navigate a little landmine, minefield here, okay? I want to be clear about what I mean. When I say restraints, here's what I mean and what I don't mean, okay? I don't mean physical, verbal, or emotional abuse. When I say discipline, when I say enforcing, I do not mean physical, verbal, or emotional abuse. Some of you all were disciplined as kids and actually you were abused. Your mom and dad just called it discipline. That's not what I'm talking about. When I say restraint, when I say discipline, what I mean is healthy discipline, direct conversations, and appropriate consequences. 
healthy conversations, direct dialogue, appropriate consequences. That's what we're talking about today, okay? The rules of restraint. You guys ready to jump in? Okay, you guys are so funny right this time today. You're like, oh no. I believe that Eli could have avoided this whole fiasco if he had understood this rule of restraint, that you must be willing to risk relationship. So funny, man. I told, I told my wife yesterday, I said, man, I got so much confidence in this message today because I know that every single person in this room, including myself, needs to hear it. The reason we don't step into hard, when someone violates our boundaries, when someone pushes up against our boundaries, the reason we don't step into the conversation is because we fear that we're going to risk and lose the relationship. This is why Eli didn't do it. Eli's boys were no longer young boys. They were no longer at the age where they could just tell them what to do, right? And they would fall in line. They were young men. And so if he restrains them, if he practices discipline now with them, they may actually choose to leave the house. And as a parent in this room, I can speak on behalf of all of us. The, the worst fear we have is that we would parent in such a way that our kids don't want to have a relationship with us when they grow up. Raise your hand if you've ever feared that. Yeah, yeah. It's the biggest fear you have as a parent. And we will do anything to avoid breaking the relationship. Relationship matters. I mean, God, like we were taught this as parents. We need to do every can to fight for relationship, fight for relationship. But here's the truth. If you're going to enforce healthy boundaries in your life, there is no way around it. You have to risk the relationship. You can't control how someone else is going to respond to your healthy boundaries. You just can't control it. It's not on you. I mean, think, think about how Jesus said this, all right? Jesus it was very clear about this. Matthew chapter 18. Oh, come on. Holy Spirit, will you open up people's hearts and minds? Will you just like, just, just alleviate the tension right now, God, and just let them receive this? Because I think it will set so many people free. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 18. He said this, FYI, most of the problems you have, just read the Bible and there's like an answer for it. When you have an issue with someone, you should go directly to them. Jesus says as much. We actually have a handbook right now for when you have an issue with somebody, you know what to do. Jesus told us right here, Matthew chapter, eight, uh, chapter 18, it says, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, there's the risk. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, there's the risk. Then take two others, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, there's the risk. Then tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, then treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector and the relationship is, is no more. Th that's the words of Jesus on how to handle this stuff. When a, when a boundary gets broken, he says, you just gotta go to them and talk. You got to go to him and talk, and if, and if it doesn't work out, man, there's going, you can't, you, can't get, you, you can't get past this, guys. It's just one of the rules of restraint. If you're going to have a healthy life, if you're going to have healthy boundaries with your coworkers and your friends and, and the person you're dating, all, all of this, you're going to have to risk. You know God risks relationship with you every time he convicts you of something that you're doing wrong. Every time you feel a gut check inside of you and you know it's the Holy Spirit of God saying, whoa, 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 that's not good, that's not good, that's not good, you shouldn't do that. Every time God puts that conviction in you, he is stepping into risk. 
Because you might choose to walk away. In fact, I have seen many people choose to walk away when they feel the conviction in them that they should not be sleeping with their uh, partner that they're not married to. When they feel the conviction that they should not be living with them. They should not move in with them. When they feel the conviction that they should be generous with their resources. People go, oh, and they walk away from God. God enters risk in the relationship every single time. But here's the deal, here's the deal. I have no funny parts to lighten this section up, so just hang with me. Some of you right now are in misery because you have a relationship that is um, broken and you don't know what to do because you have a boundary that's been broken, but you're also terrified of talking about it because you're, you're scared you're gonna lose them. And so right now you are living in such anxiety, you have no peace because you are walking on eggshells. Can I just tell you right now, you, your relationships were never meant to exist on eggshells. I, I, I'm gonna just step into this. If, you, if, the, if the relationship you're so worried about can't handle an honest conversation about boundaries, you don't really have much of a relationship. You should just call it what it is. It's okay. But you will never find peace in your life as long as your relationships are on eggshells. Your relationships, your relationships were meant to walk in honor and integrity. Not worried about, oh no, are we gonna make it? Oh no, are they still gonna love me? Oh no. No, 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 no. That's not what God wants for you. God loves you too much to let you go on living that kind of life. God wants you to have healthy boundaries and he wants you to have people in your life who respect your boundaries. Life is so miserable when everyone's walking all over you. Man, some of y'all are letting people walk all over you. And God loves you too much to let you keep on doing that. Rule number two, I'm gonna keep going. I don't think Eli was willing to do this. You must be willing to relentlessly remind. How many of y'all parents out there are just tired? Lord have mercy. I love that the text tells us that Eli was old. <laughs> He's parenting these boys and he's like, Eli was old, man. He's sick and tired of saying the same thing over and over and over and over. I can always tell when my wife's about to lose it when she goes into opera voice. <laughs> she'll, say, she'll say, kids, pick up your shoes, take them upstairs, clean up. Five minutes pass, nothing happens. Hey, kids, pick up your shoes, clean up for me. Nothing happens. If you don't pick up your shoes, I'm going to murder you. Go upstairs, and if you don't, you are over. I will ruin your life and take every bit of fun away from you. <laughs> That's when mama's about to lose it, all right? When opera voice comes out, mama about to lose it, all right? You know, it's funny. I had, um, I had a friend ask me last week. She said, said Pete, did you ever get tired of saying the same things to the church over and over and over again? And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, I mean, I've, I've heard your sermons. I've been listening to your sermons for you know, a couple of years now. You say the same things over and over and over and over. Right? Like, I mean, the, we are building a church. Then like, oh, oh, yeah, you say it over and over and over. Like, do you ever get tired of that? And, uh, and yeah, of course. Right? But this is the, the, the job of a, like, I know I, my title is lead pastor, but like, it's like a, for an organization, like corporate speak, if you're not familiar with church, it's just like, like, that's the life of a CEO. 
It, the, the, the responsibility of a CEO is to relentlessly remind people of the vision of why we exist, to relentlessly remind people why we do what we do. That's why I keep saying over and over, we are building a church. Y'all thought I was going to miss it this week, didn't you? Uh-uh. If you're new with us, we've been reading these collection of statements for weeks and weeks and weeks, and we're going to keep reading them because we need to be relentlessly reminded of why we exist, relentlessly reminded of why we are not here to just play church. We are building a church, right? We're building a church where those who didn't grow up with faith meet Jesus for the first time, and those who did grow up with faith meet Jesus like it's their first time again. We're building a church where destructive lies about God and ourselves are dismantled and we step into the truth that leads to freedom. We are building a church where the skeptic can belong before they believe, where the one who doubts sits next to the one who praises because God is at work in them both. We are building a church where we make life-changing decisions because the Holy Spirit of Jesus is here and we won't let the word of God fall on deaf ears. We're building a church where we get raw about our struggles because pretending doesn't do anyone any good, where we passionately worship and serve Jesus because he is too good to keep to ourselves, and where we make the gospel message clear because our world is desperately confused. We are building a church, and we will preserve and pass on this sacred mission to the next generation because the church is God's plan A to rescue the world, and there is no plan B. We are building that kind of church. And I will keep saying it till I am blue in the face because I know as a leader that when you are blue in the face, that's just when people are starting to hear it for the first time. See, some of y'all right now, with your kids, yes, but with the pe your in-laws, ooh, I ain't, I ain't gonna step into the in-law mess right now, but I know when I say healthy boundaries, most of y'all thinking in-laws. I'm just going to let y'all figure that one out in counseling. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you is you, you will have to relentlessly remind people of your boundaries. But I'm not, I'm not saying you must be willing to relentlessly say, stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing No, I want you to relentlessly say, stop doing that because it's not good for you. You need to relentlessly remind people of the vision of why you have these boundaries in your life. See, like CEO speak, let me tell you, you are the CEO of your family. And it is your task to relentlessly remind your family why you don't sign up for the stuff that other families sign up for. Because you got some boundaries you're trying to protect, right? You, you, you're the CEO of your family. You're trying to remind your family, here's why we don't allow that kind of stuff to happen in our house, because we got some boundaries we're trying to set up. It's not just about punishment. It's not just about follow the rules. No, there's a bigger picture going on. We got a bigger vision for our family and for our future. And so we can't let anything deter us from that. I'm telling you, you have to relentlessly remind people in your life why your boundaries exist, because the enemy will relentlessly attack your boundaries. You know, most of the people that are, that are pushed up against the boundaries in your life, they're not actually meaning to like, like harm to you. They just don't even know. They haven't been reminded. And it's your task to relentlessly remind them. I think Eli just got tired. He got tired, but man, let me encourage you that the, 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 the book of Hebrews tells us that we should never grow tired, never grow weary of doing good. I think a mom in the room needs to hear this right now. Do not grow tired of the, of the task you're being called to right now. You are raising your kids and the work you're doing right now is so important. Your most important contribution, as Andy Stanley once said, your most important contribution to the world may not be something you do, but someone you raise. 
The task that you are doing right now, it is so important. Do not grow tired of it. Do not grow weary of it. Relentlessly remind your children that you have their best interests in mind and that God has their best interests in mind. You got to relentlessly remind you can't get tired. You can't get tired. You got to keep going. You got to keep going. It's the task of the CEO. You're the CEO of your family. You're the CEO of your life. You know, God said, I'm going to hand you this life. I'm putting you in charge of some things. So go relentlessly remind people that no one's going to take away the life God has given you. You've got to push people out, right? Relentlessly remind. But I think there's a bigger reason. <clears throat> I think there's a bigger reason that maybe Eli had such a weak conversation. And um, I think it has to do with the fact that it's fascinating to me in 1 Samuel 2 and 3, we hear no mention of his wife. No mention of the mom in this situation, which likely means that she had passed away. So that likely means that Eli is single dad, trying to raise these kids, and he probably always regretted the fact that his kids were growing up in a home without that motherly touch. You know, and not, not only is he a single dad, but he's a, he's a pastor, and pastor's kids have a different life. They got it different, trust me. I, I, I remember I, I first fully embraced the fact that my kids would grow up with a different childhood, a pastor's kid life. It, it's different. I, I first realized that when my oldest son was five, we had a five-year-old, a two-year-old, and a newborn. And we went to a church function, and some sweet little volunteer from the church, sweet lady, um, ended up turning a little psycho. Um, she comes up to us and she says, hi, Emmett. How are you? Real sweet. And Emmett's five. So he hides behind his mom's leg. And her response was, oh, you're not nearly as nice as your dad. And on that day, Brittany Kinder almost murdered a woman. <laughs> I know where you live. <laughs> My husband has access to the church database and I can find your address. I will be there at 2 a.m. and I will gouge your eyeballs out. <laughs> they just grow up with a different life, you know? So like I just, I put myself in Eli's shoes and I go, I bet that Eli just felt like, man, my kid's life is so hard already. I'm not going to be harder on them by enforcing these boundaries. See, I think that Eli was unwilling to live by one of the last rules I want to talk to you about is that you must release regret. If you're going to enforce healthy boundaries in your life, you got to release regret. You got, you got to release the fact that your kids have been through hell and back. Yes, they've had a hard life. Yes, I, you're right. But you're not going to make it any better for them by letting them destroy their life and get away with stuff. <laughs> like, yes, life has been hard. Yes, yes, yes. You've got to release that. You've got to release that. You've been called to create a better future. You've not been called to settle into a worse future just because the past has been bad. You know, some of y'all right now are single in the room and you have screwed up boundaries so bad. You have given parts of yourself away to so many different people and you just feel like, man, if I started healthy boundaries now, it wouldn't make any sense because I've let them down so much in the past. You, you would almost, some of y'all are in a dating relationship right now and you've let the boundaries down and you would feel like a hypocrite to come back and to bring the boundaries back up. I'm telling you right now, God just wants you to release that regret. When Jesus stretched his arms out on the cross, 
It was so that your sins could be forgiven and so that you could be free of shame and free of regret. Just because you sucked at life in the past doesn't mean that God wants you to keep sucking at life in the future. You were, you, God wants a bigger future for you, a better future for you. You gotta release that regret, man. You gotta release the fact that, man, maybe your spouse is, is you know, working like crazy and then they're never home and you feel so bad for your kids and so you just don't want to enforce that. Maybe your teenagers have been through so much and you're so, you're so filled with remorse and shame because you couldn't provide the easy, seamless life for them. You've gotta release that. You've got to let it go. Man, God, God is doing something in their life and God needs you as their parent. God needs you as their coworker. God needs you as their neighbor to step in and to help them see what health looks like. You can't settle for a mediocre future because your past has been messed up. You've got to release that regret. And I just want you to see what's happening in Eli's mind and heart. It's the same thing that happens to us. When we know there's a boundary that has been broken, when we know we need to have a conversation with somebody, think about all the negativity that we've been processing through. Oh man, we might lose, we got a risk relationship. Oh, that's hard. Yeah, it is. Oh man, this is gonna, like I gotta be relentless. This is gonna be tiring. Yeah, it is. Yeah, for sure. Oh man, like I gotta, I gotta release regret. I gotta just like let that go. Yeah, it's hard. That's what the devil does. The devil loves to, uh, to drain your inspiration by getting you to focus on the negative. Can I flip it for a second and give you one big reason why you should absolutely practice discipline and restraint in your life? You must believe that restraint reaps reward. You must believe that on the other side of discipline, on the other side of restraint is actually God's blessing. You must believe that the God who is, who is asking you to put these boundaries up, you know that's actually the truth right now. You need to hear this. When you feel like someone has crossed a boundary in your life, or you feel like, ooh, I need to set a new boundary, it is almost always the Holy Spirit of God who is convicting you of that because he knows your soul and he knows exactly what you need. And he's got blessing for you on the other side of that discipline. He's got blessing for you on the other side of that healthy boundary. I love how Hebrews puts it. In chapter 12, verse 11, it says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, right? It's painful. It's painful to have that conversation. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. I'm telling you, the restraint that God, the boundary he wants you to enforce in your life, it will reap reward. The good things that God has in store for your life, they're on the other side of these boundaries. I'm telling you, God loves you too much to let you go on watching the people you love destroy their lives and God loves you too much to let you sit around and, and have people walk all over you. I'm trying to get to a place in life. I'm trying to get to a place in life where Psalm chapter 16 is, is the cry of my heart. Psalm chapter 16 says this. It says, keep me safe, my God, for in you I take refuge. I say of the Lord, you are my Lord and apart from you I have no good thing. You alone are my portion and my cup. You make my lot secure. And then here it is. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. The boundaries that God is trying to create in your marriage, the boundaries he's trying to create in your finances, the boundaries he's trying to create in your dating relationship, they are not in, in restrictive places. They are in pleasant places. God wants good for you. God wants more for you. And I want to get to a place where I trust the boundaries that God has put in my life. 
that I don't let anyone cross them. And when they are crossed, I have a conversation because I want to protect the life that God has given me. I want, the, I, I want to see the boundaries of God, not as a curse, but as a blessing. And I believe that maybe that's, that's what God's calling you to do today, to, to trust that when he stretched his arms out and died for you on the cross, that it paved the way for you to let go of your regrets, let go of your shame, let go of your guilt. He's got it. But then to trust that the man who lived the perfect life that we could never live, he knows what's best for you. Trust the boundaries. Trust the boundaries that, that, that the Holy Spirit brings up in your heart. The boundaries have fallen in pleasant places. You know, when I sit in my backyard, I ain't got a very big backyard. Colorado life. But when I sit in my backyard, my, my boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. I got a good little fire pit. I got a good little view of the mountains. It's a good life. The boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Maybe today's the day you say, God, I'm gonna recognize that the boundaries you are bringing up in my life, oh, they're good. And I'm just gonna start respecting them and I'm gonna start trusting them and I'm gonna start honoring the truth that you are my God, you are my shepherd, you are the one who keeps me secure, you are the one who knows what's best for me. And so God, I will trust you. I will honor the boundaries that you put up in my life. And I wanna give you the chance to make that decision before God today in a, in a moment of, um, transparency before him. So would you stand with me to your feet? I just believe that, that there's somebody in here who knows a boundary that has been broken and you know what you're supposed to do. You know the conversation you're supposed to have. Maybe you know that there's a boundary you're about to cross and it's time for you to say, God, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna trust that the boundaries are in pleasant places. Maybe for some of you it's a decision for the first time to trust Jesus with your life and to give him everything. Either way, let's go before God and let's make some decisions for him today. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? We do this in every service here at Peak City. If you're here and you've been searching for answers, maybe your life is just a mess and you've been searching for hope and, and you know that now you've found it in Jesus, that through his death you are forgiven, through his life, you, you have a new way to live, man. You've got a new path. You can start following him right here, right now. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You don't have to have it all figured out. You just got to be ready to say yes to his love and yes to beginning the journey. If that's a decision you want to make today, to begin following Jesus, I want you to raise your hand on the count of three. One, two, three. It's incredible. Several hands in the air. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. If you just raise your hand, you got to know you have just made the most important decision of your life and everything can change and all of heaven is celebrating what you have done today. Church, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, but can we celebrate those brothers and sisters that have made that decision? It's beautiful. I want to ask you right now, keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, but if you have a boundary that you know God is calling you to, to set up, to honor, to reinforce that maybe you have broken. If you have a boundary that the Holy Spirit is convicting you of right now, will you just raise your hand? It's beautiful, so many hands up in the room. I just wanna pray for you right now, specifically. I wanna pray that you'd have the courage to have the hard conversation and to trust God, to trust His guidance in your life. Jesus, we trust you, we trust you. 
we thank you that you love us enough to bring up these boundaries in our life. You love us enough to lead us into these difficult conversations. You love us too much to let us keep, go, keep walking around on eggshells. And so God, I pray for courage for the people in this room. I pray for confidence as they walk forward. I pray you give them everything they need to be the man you've called them to be, to be the woman you've called them to be for the sake of their family and for the sake of their future. Jesus, we trust you with our lives and we will sing of your faithfulness for the rest of our days. It's in Jesus' name we pray together by saying amen, amen. Let's celebrate what God's doing in the room. Thank you so much for joining us for this Peak City message today. If you'd like more information on Peak City Church or if you'd like to give to the mission here in Colorado Springs, then check us out at peakcityco.com.